you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. chapter 18 and as you're turning there I always like to start out by honoring those that need to be honored in my life I don't know about you but I'm so grateful for this church and I truly want to give honor to my pastor and to sister Jordan I'm so glad what God is doing in their life for her health and for their wellness and without them I wouldn't be here I owe an in uh irreplaceable debt to them and I'm thankful for my pastor. Aren't you glad for your pastor tonight? To all of my other pastors, we're missing Pastor Danny and Brother Aiden over in the Philippines. We're praying for them. I saw the latest post and those guys looked like they were prying their eyelids open with whatever, little uh, toothpicks or whatnot. It looked rough. And mom is probably the same way. I don't know if she's getting any sleep anymore, but I'm so grateful for God using Pastor Danny, Brother Aiden over in the Philippines. We're praying for them this week, amen. We miss them, we honor them, as well as Pastor Dylan, Sister Kayla. We're thankful for what God is doing to this church. I'm thankful for our pastors, amen. Thankful for our leadership. And also my bride, she keeps me straight. Hello? I get down from this place. And I don't need no devils to beat me up. I'll do that enough on my own. But I'm thankful for a bride that always lifts me up and encourages me because without her, I don't know that I'd still do this. (laughs) Because uh, it's, it's rough, amen? As if you've ever preached or taught or spoke publicly. They say that people fear this more than death, public speaking. But I'm thankful for what God has given me, not ability, but uh, privilege to come and to preach and, and teach tonight. So as we turn in the Word, I won't belabor the point. My goal tonight, the reason I'm belaboring a little bit is because I talk too fast sometimes, and I want to slow down tonight. I promise I won't be but 40 minutes. I can see the clock. I'm real good about getting done in about 40 minutes or less, amen? But I don't need to shove an hour's worth of stuff into 40 minutes. It's not that you can't keep up, but I get done, and that's where I get my own correction. I just try to go slow. So 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 18, I'm going to read 1 through 3, 5 and 6, 9 and 14. Good luck. And now after this, it came to pass that David smote the Philistines and subdued them and took Gath and her towns out of the hand of the Philistines. And he smote Moab, and the Moabites became David's servants and brought gifts. 
And David smote Hadarezer, king of Zobah, unto Hamath. And he went to establish his dominion by the river Euphrates. And when the Syrians and Damascus came to help Hadarezer, king of Zobah, David slew out of the Syrians two and twenty thousand men. And David put garrisons, or he put people, uh, uh, not spies, but groups of men, a, a, a group of, of military men in Syria, Damascus. And the Syrians became David's servant and brought gifts. Thus the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. Now when too king of Hamath heard how David had smitten all the host of Hadarezer, king of Zobah, so David reigned over all Israel and executed judgment and justice among his people. I want to preach. You can put your Bibles down if you'd like. I'm going to speak a lot out of the word of God. And again, my attempt is to go slow. I think they've got the title. They'll slap it up there. Keep the anointing. They asked me what to call this. I don't know what to call this all the way, but I know what God's given me to say. And if it was to be just a simple phrase, keep the anointing. Would you raise your hands, raise your hearts towards God? Let's just ask for him to have his way today. Lord, we thank you for what you've given us. Thank you, God, for this day and this hour. Lord, I pray that you would not only use my voice, Lord, my words. Let me speak with clarity and anointing, God. I pray, Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be tuned into you, Lord, what you're doing in this house. What you're doing in this hour, God, have your way tonight, we pray, and thank you for it all. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Why don't you turn and high-five your neighbor and say, keep the anointing as you're seated. What we read was David and his mighty men and his armies defeating all of the enemies against him. All of them. He was a warrior of warriors. In fact, the Bible spends three books telling his story. Every battle, every victory, every defeat, even every sin, every time he loved God, it it talks about him in every aspect. And all the while, this poet and singer writes his own little story in Psalms. He writes his feelings and his emotions through every battle and every fear. The worst thing that David could have done was write a psalm about you. Because it was coming to pass and your life was going to be changed dramatically because it seemed like whatever David penned, it just happened that way. And that's the way it was recorded. So all of these battles, everything happened. Everybody was defeated and war was over. And God decided to speak to David about what's next. And so war had happened. And eventually he said, David, it's time for you to build my house. But you can't build it because your hands are too full of blood. He beat everyone. If you look at Israel and all those areas around it, there wasn't one tribe or nation that stood a chance. Even Moab, the Moabites, when you look at them, they came from Lot. And to think that Lot chose Sodom and Gomorrah and and walked away from the promises of God and, and chose that lifestyle. And you see these Moabites that eventually came from Lot's children They just became servants. They didn't even fight David. And so David was done with battle, and God said, I want you to build the temple, but you won't be able to build it. Your son will have to build it. And so David went to the spot where he was to build it, and he began uh, began the process of making his son 
king. Solomon was to build the temple. David did everything, collecting all of the parts and all of the pieces and making sure everything was right for this temple to be full of grandeur and, and absolute, you talk about overdoing it. It was walls of gold and, and everything that it had to be a part of it. It was amazing to think of what that temple, uh, the first temple looked like uh, that Solomon built. And so it was built and God decided it was time for that. And, and he said in the word that uh, is, this is going to be a time for peace in Israel. So David, King David, took all his mighty men and decided it's time for a position change. This got me thinking. You know, when I was a child, I wanted to be a dentist. I don't know why. I don't know about the rest of you. I mean, do we have any teachers or doctors or, or nurses in here? Firefighters? Okay. Nice. That might have been a childhood dream, but most of us had to switch that at some point, right? We had to do something else. Imagine, I'm an electrician. I've been in the building trades. I've messed with uh, project management, construction management, and, and now I'm messing in, in the solar world and in the electrical world and been there for years and enjoy it, love it. Could you imagine at this point in life when, when God just comes and says, okay, all your wars are over. Now why don't you go be an accountant? I love numbers. Not that much. As Brother Day shakes his head at me, I love math, but not that much. Taxes, but could you imagine everything changed? The Bible talks about these mighty men of David. These awesome men, they have names. They've got almost chapters written to each of them. They were these mighty men of valor. They were awesome. But now life was going to change, and it was going to be different. And I want to read that a little bit because David decides it's time for new name changes, and and part of me imagines what that must have been like, could waiting in line, hoping you get the good job. Please don't let me clean out the stable. Please, for the love of the Lord, let me do something fun. Let me just sit in the palace, test food, <laughs> just enjoy life, whatever it is. And so it reads in 1 Chronicles 27, 27, it says, And over the vineyards was Shemi, and over the increase of the vineyards for the wine cellars was Zabdi, and uh, over the olive trees and the sycamore trees that were in the low plains was Balhanan, and over the cellars of oil was Joash, and over the herds in the field was Sharon, uh, uh, that, that were fed in Sharon was uh, Shitrai, and, and it goes on and on, and it says that Jonathan, David's uncle, was a counselor and a wise man and a scribe, and, and, and Jehiel, the son of, of Hakmoni, was one of the king's sons, and, and it talks about all these new spots. I could not imagine people that were prepared for war, that loved it, that could just live in war, waking up swinging, knowing exactly the right moves to, to just win at everything. And now you're now a vineyard guy. Retirement has hit. And the, the life changes and, the, and the, the, the whole scenery changes. And, and in the midst of all this, imagine everybody gets these fantastic positions. The Bible talks about head watchman of the camels, an overseer of the vineyards, a, a ruler of the donkeys, a king's counselor. Every job imaginable was out there was given. And then there's this man named Joash. And the Bible says that he was going to be a keeper of the cellar of oil. Joash, you did great. You were a mighty man. You fought for me. 
You were in the list of, of military leaders when you look at the Bible as he was giving out position. And, and you lived your whole life, and it was great. Everything you saw every day was a new city and a new town, and, and you marched with the people. But out of nowhere, you're about to live your life underground. No more daylight. The springtime is really awesome in Israel, but you're going to have to watch the cellars. You're going to have to watch the oil. Imagine him going through the vineyard, and, and I've heard other people preach about uh, keepers of the cell and different things of that nature where it speaks of Joash, and, and, and they talk about how he, he might have to test it every day and check for its, its viscosity and making sure it runs at the right level and, and, and check and making sure the wax is on top of the little uh, vessels perfectly and the little cruises are, are set just in a row, just guarding oil. Around here, it's been about a year. If I might speak openly to it a touch, we've, we've had changes. I was youth pastoring, rock and rolling enough, I could almost do it in my sleep. It was amazing. The team we had, I didn't have to hardly do nothing. And then my pastor and the Lord decided it's time for a change. And he said, now you don't get to deal with the kids of the, the parents, you get to deal with the parents of the kids. And oh, what a change it's been. It lets me realize as much as, and don't get me wrong, all, I, I, I did the right thing, and I, I'm so grateful for Pastor Evan as he leads and guides and, and pushes that charge. I'm excited for Friday night. I'm excited for what God's going to do. Amen? Y'all all right out there? Okay, just checking. And so um, when, when those changes began to happen, it changed everything. And some people got amazing roles and maybe titles and maybe stuff they felt that they were good at, but then there was probably some people that felt like, man, I got the cellar. I got passed up. I got looked beyond. I, not, nothing happened, and, and, and is God just missing me? How am I not being seen? How am I not doing nothing to where I can, I can make my way up to be something that I'm not? And, and the truth is that God does have his eyes on you, but he's waiting for somebody to be the keeper the cell. He wants somebody to watch over that. And so as I watch this happen, I, I keep thinking, Joash has the cellar. Let me take it further back a little bit. The first time that oil was ever mentioned in the Bible was in Genesis chapter 28. The Bible says, and Jacob, Jacob waked out of his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. He had just had a dream and he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? Now, that word means awesome as well. You ever, you ever hear those songs, how great and dreadful that day of the Lord is, and we, we talk about I think I've mentioned it before, but it cracks me up how we're so excited for the return of the Lord, but we call it dreadful. Scripture in, in, in King James Version says, how dreadful is this place, but it's such a compact word. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven, and Jacob rose up early in the morning. And he took a stone that he had for his pillows, and he'd set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was called Luz at the first. The first time we see oil, pastor preached a magnificent message just a month or so ago talking about God of the house. And, and it wasn't just Bethel, but he revisited that place and then called it El Bethel. But at the first, he put oil and anointed it because he knew God was here and this must be the house of God. In Exodus, 
They visit the oil again. This time, God has given Moses a laid out map of what oil is. For those of you that are new around here, I want to take my time and explain some stuff. Everybody's seen our little oil vessel, right? For those of you that are new, maybe you haven't seen it. It's nothing magical or weird. It just, it has some oil in it. And there's oil all around it. And if you open it up and smell it, it smells like cinnamon and different things that people don't like, myrrh. But it's awesome because we believe that this is kind of a layer that we can place between humankind and God and the problem. Between all three of those things, we feel that we can pray and we'll lay hands, and the Bible talks about it, they'd lay hands on the sick and they'd anoint them and God would heal them or, or they would take handkerchiefs. Uh, several times in Scripture, I, we always talk about James chapter 5 where they would take parts of aprons and, and begin to anoint them and take them back and watch God heal. The oil represented something so special, and that all came from Exodus chapter 30. We've spoken of these ingredients before. I love Sister Jordan when she makes this stuff up or she speaks of how precious the oil is. And as much as others might hate the smell, I love not necessarily the smell, but I love the authenticity of our oil. I talked to a pastor one time, and he said he would go. He was an evangelist, and um, he would go from church to church. And I don't know if it was Pentecostal Publishing House or the local Christian bookstore, but they used to sell oil in like four ounce bottles. It looked like a beehive sometimes, or it looked like a, a little triangle, and you'd see it everywhere. They'd get broke, church was going, somebody grabbed the pulpit, and there goes the oil. <laughs> you just wash the shards of glass, you, you move past them, and you just keep going. And so uh, he would talk about that, and I, I began to speak with him about it, and he said, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd grab the oil, and I'd, I'd put it on my hand, and I'd, I'd put it on people's heads. He goes, I, I didn't like it. I wanted something a little different. And so he would begin to bring his own where he would mix it a little bit more according to Scripture. And the Bible says in, in Exodus 30 that they would use these five different ingredients. And I want to talk about them for just a moment, if I might. The first ingredient that was used in making oil was myrrh. Let me back up for just a second. The reason I want to tell you all of this is so that you can hopefully find the value in an anointing is so that if, if in the next 15 or, or 20, 25 minutes that I've got left, that you can see my heart's desire that I've got to have anointing in my life. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, let's start where it matters first. Let's get you baptized. Let's do like the Bible says in the book of Acts. I, I think it's so wild when, when uh, this uh, stuff happened down in Kentucky, then uh, uh, an evangelist would go and I'd watch God like literally give the masses the Holy Ghost about 50 or so and I begin to wonder why. How does that happen? And, and you really just go back to Acts 2 and, and Acts uh, 19 and, and 10 and 8 and these different verses where it will start to describe the message that was preached, God pricking hearts and lives being changed. So if you don't know what the Holy Ghost is like, it's essential for your life. Amen? And after the Holy Ghost is there, then there's the possibility for anointing. And so that's where I'm at tonight. I hope I'm preaching to some people that know who Jesus is a little bit. If you don't, man, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to jump ahead of where you are with God. Get you in a Bible study. But you ought to seek after some anointing of God because it's the anointing where God does something amazing. I always have the craziest things happen to me. I can't even remember where it was. I don't know if my wife was with me or if I was at work. Um, but I had a guy come up to me, and he just looks at me, and he goes, Do I know you? No. No. 
yeah, no, 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 I know you. Weren't you over here? No. Weren't you over there? No, I, you, you don't know me. Man, you just look like a nice guy. Like, I know what you see in me. You don't know what you see in me, but I know what you see in me. And now my goal is to make sure, let me just pour over and flow over with whatever God's given me. Let it touch somebody else so that when they look at me, they might not know this name. They might not know this face, but hopefully they can see a reflection of anointing that he's poured in me. That's what we're looking for in God. Amen? And so they use these, these different spices. The first one was myrrh. Amazing. They took it to Jesus. They took it to the birth, but that was the first spice that they took it. And they say that it's a, a, a spice that is literally translated as a bitter spice. But yet it was a sweet spice that they used to cover up the smell of death. Nero, King Nero, the horrible one, was have said to have used a year's worth of myrrh at the death of his wife. It was bitterness. It was, it was a symbolization of death and all that is encompassed in that. Do, do you realize... God began to speak this to me just a few days ago. I don't even know if it makes sense with what I'm saying, but the only purpose of time, time, period, time, the only purpose of time is because sin is in our world. Because the wages of sin is death, and the only thing that makes us so time conscious is because somewhere down the line we understand that death is coming. I've got to get this done by the start of the year. Why? Well, I'm retiring in five years. Well, I want to enjoy this. I want, I've got this happening, and, and more life is coming, but more death is coming. And so I look at time, and it really is a result of sin. And so when I see myrrh, I see it happen to be that, that first fragrance. It covers up. It's a, a bitterness, a, a, a thing that you're going to have to find a way to give to God because God isn't necessarily just wanting all the good in life, but he wants some of those things that are hard to get through. He wants those moments where somebody's passed away and, and the grief happens and I can't get through it, but God still wants the myrrh. He still wants that to be a part of your anointing. He requires the bitterness, amen? The second chemical that they would use is a sweet cinnamon. Now, you have to imagine back in those days, cinnamon wasn't in every grocery store. They didn't just have sticks of it and candles of it at Christmas time. There's no Christmas yet. Thank you to those that are old. All right, just laughing just for a moment. But the sweet cinnamon was only grown in the far reaches of Asia. And so to get this ingredient, because he required it, you need sweet cinnamon. And so this ingredient required great, great sacrifice. You didn't even need half as much. You got to realize that this, the cinnamon, when you look at it, they gave a certain amount of, of 500 of this and only 250 of the cinnamon because that cinnamon, that small amount of sacrifice could double up bitterness. It could overcome and overwhelm the smell of something that was used to cover up bitterness. So sacrifice was essential in God's anointing. You ever wonder why you're doing what you're doing and you get nowhere? It's because he's requiring sacrifice out of you. He didn't say obedience, but the Bible says that that's even better than sacrifice. There's things in life when you live submitted that that is that sweet cinnamon. It's going to cost you something. 
And eventually, if you put it together and, and you can mix these right ingredients together, then God can anoint your life. And so he required that, that you would be a person that sacrifices. The third ingredient was a, a calamus. It was a beautiful bush that would be grown, and, and it would grow uh, so tall. And they said that it was amazing. You could go up and rip the, uh, uh, the, the stems right off of it. But it had to be fresh. That was the best way to get it. And so it was a fresh calamus. Now, calamus heals about everything you've ever seen. You ever remember those old snake oils that people would try to sell? I'm sorry, essential oils? Hello, ladies. Welcome to church. I felt that. But with those oils, calamus is recorded as to solve not only stomach acid issues, but if you ingest enough of it, that it would help your stomach to have secretions. So it's like just a little helps it, too much, you go the other way. It's it's a perfect drug. It takes out the, the desire and the taste of tobacco out of your life. It's amazing. But in order to get calamus, you have to take this branch, this 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 bush, these stems, it, it grows up, I, I, I don't even know the proper name, but almost like, you know, uh, uh, those spikes that they used to have of grass, but times like 100, just these massive shoots. And so you'd, you'd tear off like a stem of grass that was like eight or nine feet tall, and you would have to crush and break and, and grind up calamus in order to get the essential oil out of it. There's a breaking that has to happen in life. You know what's amazing about this oil? God wrote in, in Exodus 30 and 32, I think it is, Exodus 30 and 32, they don't have to put it up there, but... He wrote in Exodus 30 and 32 about this oil. He said, this is to be my oil. And he said something really wild where he said, don't put it on, on human flesh. I heard it uh, described better that it wasn't about not putting it on flesh. It wasn't to be a perfume. It was to be holy. That's why we still use it to pray because it's not about perfuming somebody. It's about the holy things of God. And so the, the calamus would be this sweet, medicinal thing. It can heal. It can, it can do so much greatness. But in order for it to be uh, excreted from the, the, the tree or the bush itself, it had to be broken and beaten. It's a, a symbolization of what we go through in life. You not only have to have a sacrifice of your life. You not only have to, to give God your bitterness and to understand that those trials, they only come to just make the anointing in your life. Well, I feel like I'm in a desolate place. That's great. That's where you can grow these trees. I'm not saying God desires us to be in drought. I'm just saying whatever circumstance he's put you in, start looking for the seasoning. Start looking for the elements and the spices to make your anointing deeper. The fifth thing, and I'm going to hopefully draw all that to a close, is cassia. They say it grows at high altitudes. It's found in a lot of places, but the one that the Bible was talking about, it produces a purple flower. And the only way that the purple flower actually comes forth is when the stem is so heavy and so extended that it begins to bow and touch the ground. It's a representation that God's not interested in your pride. It's the most beautiful flower, but he's interested in when you will be bent, when you will come before him humbly, without pride, without ego, without reputation or recourse. God, I know I want to be used of you. I know you have something special for me, but Lord, I just want your anointing. I don't have to worry about how eloquent things are, or how great my life is, or, or look at the titles or the reputation or where God has taken me. Lord, just let me be humble. 
But those four spices alone are nothing without the olive oil. That is God. That is the holiness. And and that's what will bind and blend and and get everything together to where it can be presented as anointing oil. And for years we would go around churches. And I'm thankful. This is why I'm thankful because so many of our churches years ago, I remember it as a kid, it was only olive oil. It wouldn't smell at all. It's like we wanted to light Jesus. We only wanted God. We didn't want the bitterness to bring him. We didn't want, we didn't want the, the brokenness. We didn't want to feel the sacrifice. We, we definitely didn't want to come humbly. We just wanted the God part. And so I'm not saying that without the others that God wouldn't use you or he wouldn't heal you. But in our anointing, God requires all of that from you. It's the only element. It, it, it mixes everything together. That's how the anointing is made. It's bound with him. Those elements weren't all easy to get. They weren't easy to keep. And so when I look at Joash, I see a man that had to go down and make sure that the oil was getting mixed just right, making sure it didn't stink. The Bible talks about it. And uh, they would take the oil a lot of times. They would uh, use different forms of it to, to light the tabernacle and, and to use as, as incense at the altar and, and all these things that would happen. They'd pray over all the furniture. The oil was everywhere. And with that oil, God is, is uh, trying to make sure that, that uh, his anointing is, is on top of all of it. I, I uh, spoke with this guy. I mentioned him earlier as an evangelist, but I actually spoke with this Ron Bodie gentleman, the man that made these. I happened to just come across him. I made sure my pastor was good with me talking to him. He's a UPC pastor, pastors out in California, and a lot of people know him. I've never met him. I never had the pleasure, but... I started making these vessels. I gave away a bunch at our marriage retreat and uh, have made a few since. And I had issues and stumbling blocks. And, and I began to call them up. And I sat on the phone about just two weeks ago, right before the awakening on a Monday afternoon. And I was sitting there just weeping as he began to talk about how precious the vessel was. You understand, he would walk around and go church to church as an evangelist. And he'd have those vials, those bottles, and he'd use them. He really quit using them because the oil was rancid. He said, I'd go to church to church, I'd pray for people, I'd be done praying. I could hardly make it through a message because the smell just stunk. I could smell that sitting right under the pulpit. And I know what I just put on my fingers every time I'd flip a page, it'd just smell like rancid oil. Scripture talks about it where, you know, the, the flies will die if you don't go and, and find ways to stir up that oil. There's something about stirring up your anointing with God. That he requires, if he's going to give us this stuff, if he's going to take us through the fire and, and take us through all the things that he takes us through, that we have to make sure we keep this oil in check. We have to keep the anointing. We've got to keep those cellars that the oil is kept in. And so he began to tell me, he said, Brandon, you know what they say about oil? It doesn't do well in the light. I started tearing up immediately. I thought, my God, if that won't preach. Oil doesn't do well in the light because all preachers, we'd have the oil. We just set it under the pulpit. It, it'd catch all the light we could give it. We were excited about our oil. I was a child. All right, I don't mean to rip on. Maybe we did that 20 years ago. I don't know. I'm sorry if we did. But the Bible says in Matthew 6 and 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into a closet. And when thou hast shut the door, pray to my Father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. 
Your anointing is something that is developed in secret. I really started trying to study this out because I had questions to God. How does somebody get more than somebody else? How do I gain more if it's all about me? Or how does somebody else become so successful or or so driven or so perfect? And it really comes down to how I keep what I've got. And if I don't have a secret place, our church isn't done with consecration. We're just now starting it. If I don't have a place to keep the oil in my vessel, to let it be a cruise, let it be some dark place that I can just be with me and God, and he can look at my brokenness and say, you got the myrrh, you've, you've got bitterness, you've got the, the cassius, you've got the calamon, and you've got the cinnamon. You've got all these different ingredients. Now let's just mix you. Let's add to you. Let's begin to overflow you. You know what else he said about it? He said, I used to tell people when I'd make them, He'd say they'd get it out, and I'd tell him, go ahead and go pray for somebody. And, and he really made, he told me this because he said, what I like to do with the wood is make it natural. And I found out ways that he does it to where there's no finish on this. This wood right here is at least seven years old in this design. This is African blackwood, one of the most expensive wood. They make oboes that are worth thousands of dollars and, and clarinets, that literally 35000 for a clarinet made out of African blackwood. That's salty. And he said, I don't like to use a finish. And so he begins to tell me the process. It's my process. Now it's like secret ingredients to fried chicken. I know what it takes to make this stuff perfect. And he said, so when you pray for people, and he goes, I try to tell them when you have a little bit on your hand, just, just wipe it on the wood a little bit. He goes, I tell them that feeds the wood. I thought, well, my God, if that won't feed. wonder what you're supposed to do with your anointing? You know, how many of you feel like you've got an anointing on your life? Let me start there. Am I in the right place? Y'all want to raise a right hand to let me know I've got anointing on my life? The rest of you, I want, to, I want you to rest assured there's anointing. That's what comes with the Holy Ghost. It even says that there's a gift that will come to you, not just speaking in other tongues, but one of the gifts of the Spirit, if you search it out. That's promised to you. You're going to have something connected with these free gifts. That's why we say you don't beg for them. He wants to give them. You just have to figure out how to get them. You understand how worship works. That's that whole bent over thing, and that's that's a part of the anointing. He wants you to bring all the stuff to him and, and just surrender it all. That's why when we see closed fists at an altar, and, and it's really funny when we get to altars. I still got time. Everybody good? I got seven minutes. I'm not ripping, I promise. I just want us to be aware of what it looks like. We'll see people with closed fists at altars, and we're like, man, they're so close, they're going to get it. And, and sometimes we used to be real bad, we'd shake a chin. There it is. It's like we're starting a mower. Just pull the cord once and just let her rip. And I'm sorry. Some are laughing. I'm not even looking at my pastor. I'm just going to move on. Some of these, forgive him. He didn't authorize all this. So as we're praying, I, I've, I've been told before, go ahead and have them just open, open be in complete surrender. When's the last time you were told by the cops to put your hands up and you did that? So there's that openness that has to happen. What we do around here is we'll let three or four or five pray with somebody seeking and the rest of us are watching. You almost got it. Some of us are talking, where are we eating? I'll quit riffing. What we should do is be all about the soul trying to get some oil. We should be about the vessel just trying to get formed, trying to make sure that something will pour in and something might help fill it up a little bit that their lives might be changed forever. What did the Holy Ghost do for you? 
It's changed my life at 10 years old. I've never been the same. I look at my kids. My wife, my son got the Holy Ghost at Children's Conference. That was the worst night of my life because my wife was sick. Oh, she was homesick with a kid. She didn't get to experience it. We didn't take good enough photos. I'm sorry, I, and I, I've apologized. I've done my part. I was too obsessed about what God was doing with my boy. That I, I'm sorry. Somebody else, everybody else messed up. I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. I'm going to pray somebody through the Holy Ghost. I'm going to make sure some oil gets in here. If it has to splash out of me, if I have to be a little loose with mine, if I have to spread what God's given me, that's what you do with your oil. It's not to keep, but it's to spread and to give. That's where fruit comes from. That's where gifts come from. That's where revival comes from. Be about spreading the oil, and then whatever's left, don't worry, honey. God hasn't forgot you. He's just going to take his little finger that he has, and he's going to feed the oil with what's left. It might be inside of you, and you might say, well, I don't feel nothing, but go ahead and pour out whatever God's given you, and watch he will bless your life and change it. Oil's essential. Keep the oil and keep the anointing. As the music make their way up here, God's remnants are enough for any man's life to be fulfilled. I'm not saying we have to live off of remnants and leftovers and, and whatever's left, but that's enough. If it's just whatever's left, that's enough that God can bless my entire family with. You understand that? He might have placed a ton in me. Here's why I say that. Because at the awakening, not everybody got spoke to individually from a microphone. I know how quickly we can come off that and you feel like, well, he didn't talk to me. God didn't minister to me. I'm not praying because I didn't feel a thing. Or I prayed for others, but God shut me down. The, the preacher made me stop. I was praying for this and praying for that. And, and they stopped it because they thought something else. But I'm telling you, don't get bitter and hang on to that. Pour it back out to him. Don't worry about the sacrifices you made. Well, I made dinners. I made sure that the house was clean. I made sure kids were watched when, when ministry was off, having the time of their life. I was just trying to do my part. That's okay. Sacrifice is required. It might not make sense sometimes when you've got to do something and watch the oil in the cellar like, man, I'm doing nothing. Look at look at Zebdi. He gets to go and he's watching wine and he's making wine out of grapes and he's he's got his own cellar, but that's a cool cellar. I just have oil. I'm okay with the oil. I'm okay if all I am is a Joash. If all I am is a person in a closet praying, God, let there be anointing in this church. Let there be anointing in my family. Lord, whatever it takes, let there be anointing. We have to make sure we feed that vessel of God. If you'd stand with me. When I talk to my pastor about the awakening, when he talks in group settings and everything else, the biggest thing I've learned this time around is God spoke a lot to him. And there's times where I feel, God, why won't you speak to me like that? But my pastor never said God spoke a lot to him right here. He did it in the cellar. He did it in the inner room. He did it in a secret place. God began to give angelic visitation. He didn't start it here. He started it 
at home and he brought it here. There's nothing else I can learn from my pastor is to make sure my anointing is stirred at home before I ever get to the house of God. going to start with you and I both having those five ingredients. we got to have him. He'll blend it all together. We've got to give him all that we have, whether it's bitterness or sacrifice or uh, uh, the, the ability to, to, to humble ourselves, to be broken. Whatever those things are, God's requiring something more out of you. The awakening was never a finish line. It was a starting line. The 40 days leading up to it was not just a, that, that wasn't the marathon. That was, that was the pre-practice. That was just trying to get my flesh in order so now I can see what's Sunday going to be like. How many souls will God, how much will I let what I have stirred up and built up, how much will I let overflow and will I let God use me and splash onto others? He don't need my anointing. He's got his own. But if I can do my part, then God can feed my vessel as well. So I challenge you tonight. I'm going to open up these altars, and I'm looking for those that might say, Lord, I might not have felt spoken to, but I still believe that you can use me. Some of you that were waiting for a special word that might not have gotten it, I want you to know that there is a place that God can go ahead and start stirring up that anointing in you like he's done before. Amen? As they begin to sing or play, or there's no singers, that's fine too. <laughs> Why don't you raise your hands? Why don't you just turn to him? If you feel so inclined to come to the altar, I'm not going to let you be the only one. Lord, I pray tonight, God, that you'd be with us. Lord, anoint me, God. Lord, use me for my neighbors, God. Use me for a co-worker, Lord, a client. God, I pray when they stare at me, let them just look like they know me, God, even when they don't. Lord, use me for your will. That's it, church. Cry out for just a Sign over your life. He's not done giving his 
you glad for the anointing of the Lord in this house? Amen. Amen. One of my favorite subjects to study and research is the anointing. The deeper you go, the more you find. The parallels and the layers that you find. Brother Brandon, you did a wonderful job tonight. Let's thank him for speaking to our hearts tonight. When he started talking about the anointing and gave his title tonight, my mind began to race and think the first mention, principle of first mention in Scripture when the anointing was poured upon the stone where Jacob had laid his head upon the pillow of stone for the night. He pours oil out upon that stone and marks it the name is changed from the house of God to the God of the house. He pours the stone upon it. The unique thing about the anointing oil that was used is that when it's poured out upon a stone, it changes the appearance. It, changed, it, it was a marker. It was a marker upon the stone. And so then the winds could come and the rains could come and the storms could come. But anybody that passed by that way that would look at that stone would see that that stone's been marked. That stone, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, it marks you. It is a mark upon us. And you don't have to go around and brag to everybody about it. When they see you, they're going to know there's something different about that man because that marker is upon us. When the anointing was poured out upon the priest, before he entered into the tabernacle of the congregation, he had been washed and cleansed. All typology, I love the typology. It's all tied up in that. They had been through the washing and the perfection, the perfecting and the cleansing. They stood in the door before they ever entered into the tabernacle of the congregation of the people. They opened the oil, poured the oil out upon their head, runs down through the garments expensive garments. But while it was never made for the skin of man, it poured out upon the garment and immediately may have the appearance that it had ruined the garment, but the, the makeup of the, of the oil would allow it to dissipate and it did not harm the garment whatsoever. But locked within the weeds of that garment was the odor and aroma that everywhere the priest went, he didn't have to tell anybody he was anointed. You knew it by the aroma of his presence. Oh, you got me rolling now, Brother Brandon. You got me thinking. Got the anointing rolling in this house tonight. We need the anointing of God in our lives. Amen. What a powerful, powerful word. Keep it hid in your heart. Keep it in your heart. And then let it come out when it's time to minister to others. I believe what God's doing in this season is unique. It is every year. We come through the awakening season. And, of course, this season we've come through with tons and tons of sickness. And it seems and feels like a setback when you come in Sunday. You come off of one Sunday with the awakening and the next Sunday with half the congregation out due to sickness. And it feels like, well, here we are right back. But I believe what God has done is a beginning of something that he is going to continue. 
What does the next 40 days look like in your life? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and ask them, what does the next 40 look like in your life? What are you going to do with it? If God grants us 40 more, what are we going to do with it? I want to be committed to him every day, every day. One more time, thank Pastor Brandon for preaching to us tonight. Thank you for being here. Brother, brother and sister Roach are with us tonight. Give them a great big God bless you. We're so thankful to have them with us tonight. Amen, amen. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. That is a lamp.